It's not getting it, getting it. Hey, welcome everybody out there in podcast land. The Good Times with Good People Company proudly presents the Law Party Podcast, where it is always about good times, good people, and good talk. You can search for the Law Party Podcast on iTunes, Google Play, SoundCloud, and YouTube. You can also like us on Facebook, follow us on Instagram, and tweet us on Twitter. Good. Now that you've got your invitation, join us. Grab a drink, light up a cigar, or whatever you like to smoke, and be sure to tell a friend, and welcome to the party. I'm your host and moderator, Rio, and let's introduce today's panel. We've got a full table today, so let's get to it. We've got uh, Chris O'Connor, of course, returning champion, co-owner of Liquid 9 Broadcast Media. Uh, Lane and Connor Boland. Uh, I'm going to call them the Brothers Grimm. <laughs> We've got uh, Big Dave Elliott, uh, co-owner of CMP Construction. Uh, ben Roberts, he is uh, our personal bartending guru here at the Pendergast Club. And of course, the anonymous female, because she doesn't want you to know her name. And today we're going to be talking about a house divided. Um, so I was watching, uh, I should say we were watching, um, Vice uh, over the weekend. And uh, and they did a special called House Divided, and it was kind of about how the American electorate had become such so divided and so angry and polarized over the course of. They focused on uh, on focused on the Obama on the Obama years, but I thought, <clears throat> excuse me, I thought that it was a more interesting conversation, uh, if we took a step back and start with George W. Bush, um, because um, I think some of the things that made people so angry during the Obama presidency really started uh, or were really exacerbated during the Bush uh, presidency, and that, of course, uh, has brought us up to today with um, our president-elect, Donald Trump. So, um, let's, let's get started with the beginning, and that is George W. Bush, and he started his term with a budget surplus, which um, maybe our two historians at the table may remember but I can't remember that many times in American history that we've started anybody's presidency with a budget surplus. Uh, we have several times during the course of history, but, uh, but. I would also say, don't forget that uh, Clinton's presidency ended with a massive recession and a tech stock bubble that burst. So George Bush, George Bush actually inherited a really shitty economy at that point. So there, there, there's more to this. I actually did. I actually did forget about the tech bubble person. And it did indeed. I actually did forget about the tech bubble person. Also, didn't Clinton essentially massively repeal regulations on big banking as well? Oh, maybe that was true. He actually doubled down a lot of Carter had passed that forced banks to invest in the neighborhoods that they were in, whether you were credit worthy or not. Which, in my opinion, led directly to the 2008 housing bubble. Because you yep. would just take all these bad debts, package them up, sell them off. They were worthless. Uh, and you probably speak to that better than anybody, but that was a huge problem. 
Absolutely. Um, so we don't. I don't want to jump that far forward yet. I want to okay. try to take this step by step. So Bush comes in. He inherits the presidency from Clinton with, uh, with you know, like you say, with the housing bubble. Uh, I mean, the, with the tech bubble that had happened, and but there were no like bailouts of the tech industry. It was just, it was a bubble. It burst. It did the damage that it was going to do. But we rolled on into a new presidency. Then. Barring a couple of vacations and naps in there, 9-11 happened. And, of course, we know 9-11 took us uh, into, into war. And, you know, and really, the war ended in the middle of uh, the Obama presidency. It, it went on so long. Um, and it got me... So, just briefly on... 9-11 and one in the war um, there's been a lot of talk about especially during the election about the possibility of uh, pay for play possibly happening with, uh, with Hillary if she had become president and what um, happened or didn't happen while she was Secretary of State but it did get me to thinking about uh, Cheney uh, under Bush and how it seemed as if a lot of uh, companies that Cheney had either headed at one point or were directly friends of uh, Cheney's and Bush's for that matter um, seemed to profit off of uh, the Iraq war. And, uh, you know, in, in either that they made weapons or something. For uh, for the government during that time. Well, actually, there's a company that he was president of, and he worked for, and I worked for a subsidiary of him called Otis Engineering. It was Halliburton. Mm-hmm. And the interesting thing about Halliburton during the war is that Halliburton basically became a service company, and they went over there and set up the camps, the food, the infrastructure, everything needed to be able to feed, house, and, and take care. And they became they where they were not mostly soldiers, an oil field company before. Isn't right. that the company that did that? No, that's Blackwater. Yeah, oh. Blackwater, she Academy, so on and so forth. Mm-hmm. But, that, been, but that also was something that sprung up during that time. They mm-hmm. may have been some other subsidiaries, but I think they might have been were probably subsidiaries of of Halliburton for the most part. But I think they won the major contract, and that's where well, Cheney comes into play, right? Yeah, because, I mean, you know, I, like, but, I but, guess but, that's that's but, I guess that's where my question comes in. Won the contract? Because, to me, uh, math is pretty simple. <laughs> one, 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 and one does equal two. Well, and, what, uh, what's new? What's new about that? No, I'm not saying anything's new about it. But I guess what I am saying is, we were really ready to uh, burn Hillary at the stake for the possibility of it, well, and started, it happened mm-hmm. under Cheney, and nobody said much of anything. Well, this story. Yeah, off. so it just, it just, it's, and it wasn't a thing I, I truly wanted to debate, but it was definitely something that I thought was interesting at best. It really started off in Vietnam. That was really the first modern war. You know, I'd like Wayne to yeah. pit in on this because he's a pretty good historian on that aspect. That was the first modern war where infrastructure was set up to 
be able to have huge defense contracts on the deal. Am I right in that some way? It went on way before that. Yeah. Way before Well, that. but I mean... It really started with Korea. That, that was on TV. And I then we saw like that. I guess is what yeah. I'm saying. Because then I, I was... At, I was that kid that watched the TV every night. You could see what was going on. Go out to the Truman Library and read the story of Harry Truman. I became famous. <coughs> it wasn't just that he was the senator. He was actually a joke when he was in the Senate. And everybody called him the senator from Pendergast until World War II started. And he started he investor, investigating massive corruption amongst yeah. everybody winning these government contracts. And cracked down on it. Became Times Man of the Year and was on the cover. So, no, it, it, this has been something that's been going it's on been forever. been going on forever. This has been going on since the, the Civil, Civil War, War, honestly. Yeah. I mean, the contracts given out in the Civil War were ridiculous. When the cannon shoot so called Brown and Root. Oh, my God, there's a shoot contract. <laughs> that was so illegal. It was ridiculous to supply the entire Northern Army with shoes. There we go. <laughs> the kickback on it was unreal. Yeah. So, you know. no, this, this goes on yeah. every time. Yeah, and I definitely time. don't think any of it's new. You know, I just I'm a I'm a big one for saying if we're gonna if if we're gonna you know shoot at this target, you know we should probably shoot at all the targets because well, it's don't Clinton had a war. Everybody. Oh yeah, no, and yeah, everybody did, and everybody had you know everybody at, during their presidency that had a war. Contracts went to somebody awfully close. So I you know, I definitely get, it. but I want to get stuck on the Iraq War because I want to keep moving forward in time. Uh, and barring uh, uh, a few uh, bullets uh, fired and uh, a couple of uh, uh, victories uh, claimed on uh, <laughs> on on warships uh, <laughs> by presidents, uh, we wound up with a full economy meltdown. And I think here is where our story really begins. So. With the economy uh, in full meltdown, they recognize that they have to do something because not only is it going to collapse uh, the American economy, there was a very high probability that it was going to crash the world's economy. Um, And so um, we get, I think the first true pain point for the American public electorate at, at, at large, the bank bailout. Mm-hmm. So, and that's really, to me, the beginning of where kind of this anger train kind of, kind of really starts rolling down the track. Let me step back even just a little bit past that. The Dodd-Frank bill, my wife was in banking at the time, where they redlined banks and said that they had to give loans to certain people. The Dodd-Frank really was more part of the collapse, in my opinion, of the housing bubble and the foreclosure bubble brought on the 2008-2009 recession as being a huge victim of it. Yeah, right, <laughs> you know, right. That, that really had more to do with anything, because this, this was government interfering... Fannie Mae interfering with how we do our loan process, who gets qualified, and the government saying you have to qualify certain people, because and, and Bush was part of this deal too, because he wanted to make sure everybody should own a house. I believe that came out of his mouth at one time. Yeah, yeah. So, you know, they were all kind of complicit in this, but not everybody should own a house. I mean, look at 
Look around Kansas City right now, all the apartments we're building. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. 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 Not so, everybody you know, should. Not they're everybody realizing will. that, you know, not everybody should own a house. The policy you're talking about started but this was in the 70s. It huh? was doubled down on in Clinton in the late 90s. And then Dodd-Frank came in and was maybe a, a final part <coughs> for that. But to be fair, the origins of that policy were in the late 70s under Carter and then doubled down on under Clinton in the 90s. Yeah. Yeah. But I believe that was the main factor. Yeah, I, yeah. I, I guess I think that was your trigger. Well, I guess at a certain point, I don't even know if it. Well, at this point, I don't know if it matters. You know whether it was you know Dodd Frank or if it was some just or if it was just Wall Street playing recklessly with uh, with those uh, with those commodities or or, or what. The fact that it happened, I think, is, you know, just trying to think from a super average American's standpoint. Mm-hmm. You know, like, we are a, a table of reasonably, reasonably intelligent, uh, and I am using air quotes uh, out there in podcast land, uh, <laughs> uh, uh, people that, uh, we, that we actually have these discussions. Um, Outside of the podcast, if you if you uh, believe that, but we really do. Um, but I think the first real, true American in in this modern era, practice pain point, I think, was the economy collapse and then the bailout of the banks. And so, you know, I think it was the first time that you know. The American public at large, whether they were informed or not, uh, and and a lot of people just aren't, were, you know, really upset that we were using taxpayer money to bail the banks out. So, well, but um, we also bailed out the car companies. We bailed yeah, which companies. which which actually does which actually does come next. You know, so. Uh, the so we have the bank bailout, the exception of Ford. Ford was the only oh, well, they didn't take the money. Yeah, so. some of the stimulus money also went towards supposed to be creating jobs and everything else. It wasn't just a bank bailout, if I'm not mistaken. Sure. Yeah, was, well, there was the there was the bank bailout. Yeah, there, there was all, under there was, all there was a bank bailout package. under Bush, and, it wasn't and the then there was the stimulus bill under Obama. We bailed out banks in the Great Depression all the time. Yeah, that's, yeah. that's why you have an FDIC. This is why your deposits up to a hundred thousand dollars are guaranteed. Now, if if I'm mistaken, did that not come into play after come. the Great Depression? It was a part of the Great Depression Act. No, okay. So they started guaranteeing that banks, your bank, would not fail. Part of the, the New Deal. It, it was in the Great Depression, and then it, 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 like most people don't even understand the first. It was uh, Roosevelt's first hundred days. Look at all the shit he did. Those are all Hoover policies that were already going into place anyway. Mm. So <laughs> it's just ridiculous. Yeah. Like Hoover's maybe the one of the most uh, maligned presidents ever, who had all these stunningly great policies that Roosevelt gets credit for. Roosevelt's real claim to fame was trying to jam the Supreme Court with 13 people from the nine that we currently have to push through everything single thing that he wanted to do. So, and he would have lost had there not been a war. Yeah. Yeah. So, so there actually was the two separate separate things. I, I want to I want to get that straight because I think each thing compounds the pain of the thing before. So, 
so you got the bank bailout under Bush, but that was toward the very end of his presidency. And that, that, that upset people. Oh, yeah, and it did. It did it upset started, people. The, the, you're right in that some of the anger started at yeah. this point. And so then, right within the first weeks of uh, President Obama taking office, um, you have uh, auto industry bailout, and you have um, you have the stimulus, and you have the uh, you have the mortgage um, mortgage act that he. That uh, that that he did fair the like fair mortgage if I'm not mistaken of what I am calling it, but uh, so yeah mortgage assistance um, which is it literally was signed the day after the stimulus. And his first tax. Yeah. So so right in there that little condensed time you've got four things that the public really didn't get a chance to digest and decide if they liked. We, 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 meaning our government, felt that the auto industry could not fail in the way that the banks were, were failing uh, just months before. Um, then, the, because the economy dipped so, so low, there was uh, the stimulus, which... Um, uh, almost half was uh, tax cuts, and just over half were uh, lots of different jobs programs and 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 some other things that you know. But but they were a lot of those other things were very small bites. Uh, the biggest chunk was uh, trying to put construction back to work and things like that. Um, so just right in there before we move on. So. Bank bailout, auto industry bailout, stimulus, and then uh, the mortgage assistance. All that happened in months and like within six months, all of these things happened. So before I roll forward in time, anybody at the table? It all happened a little bit more forward in time than maybe I should wait a minute, but... There were some mistakes made. President Obama should do what Trump needs to do sometimes. He needs to keep his mouth shut in certain situations. He made two statements that really hurt the stimulus, in my opinion, as far as the people's opinion of it. When they were all sitting there and they were joking and saying, well, I guess there wasn't so many shovel-ready jobs. And they all kind of laughed. And, man, that got all over the national news. Mm. Yeah, just don't, you don't bang on the people. You don't you don't admit that. That was to me. I thought he made a very critical error there mm-hmm. because people are going to look at that and go, well, "Screw you," you know. And the other thing that he said, well, and I think this is even further down the line that I think he really made a really mistake at is that he says you didn't build this. He started telling small business, "You didn't build this. Government built this. You did. You didn't do this without somebody's help." No, most of us did it on our own, and that really. Uh, to a to a small business owner that I know, we all went WTF. You just said the wrong thing to us. He really burned a lot of bridges in some of those areas on the small business, and also created more anger on that aspect. So that's the reason I'll bring it up now. Maybe, yeah, yeah, yeah. maybe it's a little further down the road, but he created anger in small business at that point. 
because you know, wait, you're 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 not here. You don't sound like you're on my side here. <laughs> you're, you're, if you would have let that stimulus work through a little bit more, I think he would have had a little bit more success and not angered some of the very people he was trying to help. Mm. Lance. Oh, no, <laughs> digesting all that. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, my experience just attending Laura, I've met a lot of small business owners uh, that just come by and you know, have a drink or whatever, and it's pretty common that small business owners uh, are not fans of President Obama, so that kind of stands to reason that I hear it all the time. Mm-hmm. Not a lot of them are, you know... Have... You reach out to us and make make friends with us no, very well. It, it doesn't he, seem so. He had trouble dealing with that aspect, and uh, maybe because of his political background and, and know how he came up. Uh, I don't think I don't think President Obama was a bad guy in that aspect. I don't think he was trying to to reach out badly, I just think like we all say stupid shit every once in a while, and a couple of things bit him pretty hard on that. Yeah, you know, it's funny. One of the things that they were saying in that vice special, and, and they actually did wind up talking with the president in the special, but you know, one of the things that uh, they were saying is that you know what he was good and brilliant at was you know, addressing the people at large. He can give amazing speeches, but what he wasn't as good at is selling something in the room. Mm-hmm. Like, he just wasn't, he wasn't a backslapper. He just, he, he, that wasn't part of his natural demeanor, I don't think. And so I think the political process <coughs> um, was, I think, was probably tougher for him than for some, because he just, that just wasn't who he was. He came up a political animal. I mean, well, every, everything he went to college for and everything yeah, he yeah, yeah. No, I mean, was to be a political animal, not a not an independent business person or a business person type understanding. He didn't have that understanding yeah, very no. well. He just, because that's not how he came up. That's not his educational path and work path that he chose. Yeah, no, I mean, he definitely, you know, like you say, when when he got out of law school, he went into you know, kind of the community organizing route, and, and like it was never a, you know, like he wasn't a deal maker by by nature. And I think he could he could sell the theory to the public, but he couldn't. He had a really harder time selling the deal to you sitting across the table. One, I think he was. You know he's he's a he's a hyper intellectual. I mean he was the uh, he was the president of the Harvard Law Review. Yeah, I mean he's he's no question. So it's you know he probably like you say just getting the language to come from this kind of <clears throat> academic esoteric level and just bring it down here where we can just have a man to man. I think that was probably harder for him. You know and you know and not necessarily faulting him for it or whatever. It's just you know, this what we're doing today is is an examination. You know, not a not a condemnation of anybody. It's an examination of. Well, if you would legalize pot right off the bat, we'd all been stoned and everything. Been <laughs> yeah, I, I'm still thinking, I'm still thinking people need to just go ahead and do that. Just get that over with. Hmm. All right, so um, hmm. so we had those four things, and I think those are pain points that compounded on each other. 
and then you had a lot of what was um, said to be political uh, misgivings about about Obama and and how he you know operated politically, but what it how it manifested um, felt different. So that put pain points on the other side of the road. So, you know, you had, you know, the beginning of, uh, you know, the the birther, you know, movement. And you had, uh, you know, people were calling them socialists and uh, Marxist and uh, communist. And, you know, what I did find interesting was... Um, Despite everything we're saying right now, and 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 all of uh, and all of the things that may not have led him to be as uh, successful president as you know, you know, we would have liked for him to be, or he would have liked to be himself. Um, despite all of that, he still has one of the highest uh, approval ratings right now in in modern history of any president that's uh, in, in a lame duck session. So I, I thought that was really interesting. So let's move slightly forward. Not, not too far forward, but slightly forward. Um, throw out a name. Frank Luntz. He, uh, he's a GOP. He was the GOP pollster guru. Um, he was the guy that they turned to when they needed to develop strategy. So they would, you know, so he would do uh, polls and focus groups and whatever he needed to do to get his data to give to the GOP so that they could formulate their strategy on how they're going to move forward against a candidate or a bill or anything. Um, So the night of the inauguration, you know, I think uh, there was quite a number of Republicans at the time that were kind of licking their wounds and just you know, we don't know what the hell just happened here. Um, and at the time, um, did not have necessarily ill will toward the new president. Just they really didn't understand how they lost. <laughs> and uh, you ran Mitt Romney. <laughs> well, well, <that's, laughs> well. Uh, so there was a huge, uh, there was a dinner that uh, Frank was going to hold um, the night of the inauguration. Um, he got a table at a restaurant uh, for 24. He really kind of thought nobody was going to show up that night with everything else going on. Uh, he said they, they couldn't see, they just couldn't see everybody. Everybody who was anybody in the Republican Party showed up at that dinner and was just trying to figure out what the hell just happened. Brainstorming session. Yeah, like what the hell just happened, you know? And uh, and and once again, not in a bad, not in a bad way against the the president elect at that moment, but analytical. Yeah, what happened? What can we do? How do we move forward? And uh, so one of the quotes that he said was, "What they came, what they came out with was we were going to." challenge when deserved and cooperate when needed. And um, because, you know, if the president succeeds, the country is succeeding. And so we want the country to succeed. So this is our strategy. 
But <laughs> within weeks, and I mean maybe two, the conversation changed dramatically from, you know, challenge when deserved and cooperate when needed to we don't have to actually do anything against him. He needs to break his campaign promises, and we can help him do that. All we have to do is not cooperate. And thus began the next eight years of, of dealing with uh, the president dealing with our houses of Congress. Uh, so before I go in, before I go in on that, who who remembers that time right right at the beginning of his presidency and and uh, and and what the what the I, pulse I, of the country? I kind of remember one thing about this because I, I remember them talking about having this little coalition. They got together, but also part of that coalition was the leadership and met, went and met with the president, and they tried to state to him that no, we have some agenda. Which was which was at, which was later. slightly later. Am I, which am was, I right on this? You are right, but it was it was later. It was a which is still super early within his presidency. But 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 uh, but a little. But this is a little later than what I'm talking about. What you're what you're but saying. The rumor that got out there, and I never have really delved in to do the research to find out if it was true or not, because there's so much crap out there anymore that. Basically, Obama said, you know, well, look, we have our agenda, too. Basically, we won, you lost. We're going to press our agenda. And I think that might have solidified them. I believe the say, quote was, elections have consequences. What's that? <laughs> elections have consequences. Yeah. yeah. I believe that's the direct quote. Yeah, yeah that, actually, that actually is the <laughs> basically, basically how it went down. And then I don't know. And I... And I Exit. No, they were still cooperating with him. It was later that they decided maybe, they maybe were. Maybe I don't have my but, 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 that quote, that, but that's a point. That mm-hmm. quote is from a very early meeting the president had with, with the Republican leadership. Where, and it was basically... Um, Kander? Yeah, it was basically... Um, Eric Kander comes in with this white paper with... Like, like with with cancer. Excuse me, with like ten, like Republican ideas that they that that had to happen, and uh, and was beginning to press the president, uh, you know, in the room uh, for, you know, everything that's on this paper has to happen, and uh, and that's when the quote happens. Uh, you know, elections have consequences, and I won. So, I I think my mandate from the people is different than what you think the mandate is, and and I think that did um, that did begin begin the friction. So you've got because right after that was when they needed to start working on the the stimulus, and so you know. One side wanted as as many tax cuts and um, and and basically, to tell you the truth, almost mo- almost all of what the Republicans are asking for were tax cuts. Um, for you know, for in the stimulus package, but you know, the president felt that there had to be some provisions for shovel-ready jobs and other things in the stimulus. It couldn't all be basically 
kind of trickle down. Basically, we're going to cut all these taxes, give money to businesses. They're going to hire. And I understand. I, me personally, understand that thinking uh, only because, yes, I do think some tax cuts and, and infusion into businesses is needed. But are we guaranteed that the businesses are then going to turn around and hire people? No. So it was so what he so starting some projects and things that that actually created jobs right away. Well, well, it depends what businesses you were out there to have to want to help people. If, well, if you were just going to give them the government contracts to people that just do government work, well, I think they're much more likely just to take the money. Well, I think part of it was. And, I think part of it was that, and part of it was private sector business. And, and, and let's not forget that part of that stimulus money went to green industry. Mm-hmm. We had several, Sloan Auto, they failed. I mean, there were people that, that were paid a lot of money to the campaign, and once again, rewarded, rewarded for your loyalty and your donations. Absolutely. You know, whereas if you would have helped me out, yeah, I'm going to hire some people. But they didn't look at small business and say, how can I help small business so I can hire people? They, in fact, they made it a little bit tougher on me because all of a sudden, now I can't. I'm having an even harder time getting insurance or health benefits for my employees. You know, mm-hmm. we did finally get a bill passed later on that said, you know, we and I think Obama signed this bill. In fact, I know he did, where you could buy equipment and that equipment became a larger deduction. That was the best tax deduction. You were able we to had. take the deduction faster. Right. You didn't have to amortize it over three to five years. Right. So you got to write it all right. off. Am I correct on you that? You got to write it all off at once. That, that's yeah. your yeah. game. They expedited the, the yeah. amount of... Uh, My personal favorite was uh, the the tax cut for if you bought a, a vehicle more than 6,000 pounds, right. you could amortize it all in the first year. And that was purely to help the farmers. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Hell, I, I know people that just bought golf carts and jokingly called them their Obama mobiles. Yep. Because of the fact that they beat that little weight limit. Yep. Yeah. Oh, well. Anyway. Yeah. yeah. Well, I appreciate that. That's yeah. kind of what I was looking for. But, <laughs> you know, they, these are some of the problems that, that, that continue to lead to problems down the road. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Like, that's what I say. It's... It's kind of a, a, like I say, just an examination of pain point on top of pain point, you know, that, you know, which actually leads me to um, the next pain point. So, well, before you get off that one, yeah, yeah, go ahead. I, I would throw this out. I would say uh, it was a mixed bag. If you remember the Republican Party at the time, it was split in half between oh, yeah. crazy ass Tea Party people who uh, had these. Principles that were inviolable and were unwilling to compromise. Yes. Of course, the traditional Republican Party, and you had a president who was, will go down in history as one of the least uh, effective in dealing with Congress, which yes. is bizarre since he came from Congress and should know how to work, but he was almost never there because he was running for president the whole time he was there. So, uh, yeah, I mean, it was a horrific situation on both sides. All they had to do. And they mutually could have done it was targeted tax cuts, which would have been just fine, uh, and could have led to massive growth much faster than it did. There's a lot of things you could have reached out to. Do you, do you think there was a concern? Because under Bush, you know, the national debt started taking off. 
Well, but you gotta remember again, one with two wars going on at the same time. Right. And he also, as we discussed earlier, inherited a recession of his own. And that the Republicans were trying to say, whoa, we need to bring this down, it's taken off. Maybe that was part of their deal, <laughs> what they were looking for in tax cuts. Yeah, I, I, I'm, I mean, spe- I'm totally speculating. If you, yeah. want, if you want to get people to hire people, cut payroll taxes. For God's sakes, that's one of the biggest disincentives of hiring people. I mean, shit, I'd hire a ton more people if I didn't have to taxes. Payroll taxes, yeah. That's what I'm wrong. Yeah. I think, uh, <coughs> so percent of this discussion of figuring out how we got Trump. It all boils down to a hardening of battle lines on both sides. Mm-hmm. The, the American discourse has yes. always been about compromise. Yes. And, and it all of a sudden became about inviolable principles, as Chris said, on both sides. Mm-hmm. And quite frankly, I think our president was sized up correctly by the opposition and, and taken in the same way you would somebody at a poker game in that they realized because he was a first-term senator and didn't understand the way Congress worked, Cantor purposely went in there with these demands that he knew Obama was going to bristle at, and Obama gave them exactly what the Republicans were looking for, and that was a, a, a yeah, hardline answer to harden the battle lines, and so that's how we now have Trump. Yeah. Well, and it was interesting when we were watching um, Vice, that yep. Vice special, that they were talking about how, do you remember when Boehner was having meetings with him? And having blah, those, blah, blah, blah. Those, those secret but meetings they, d- and going they said off. that um, Boehner and Cantor both lost their position because they, by the Republicans, felt that they were the Tea Party. Well, they yeah. felt that yeah. they were too uh, nonpartisan, right? And the Democrats thought they were too partisan, so there was like a no. It was no winning for them. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, a lot of interesting points. I, I think we're going to see the, the Democratic Party coming up. I mean, I think yeah. the Bernie Sanders movement is going to be the equivalent of the Tea Party and the Republicans. Yeah. I actually kind of agree, actually. I think that's, <clears throat> it may not be, uh, you know, what's, I think what's interesting with the Tea Party is, uh, so, and I, uh, Everybody out there in podcast land, if you know me personally, and some of you do, you know I'm originally from Chicago, and uh, so it's going to hurt my uh, soul to say that the first uh, person to uh, get on TV and say that, um, and this is actually during the mortgage assistance, this is actually when the Tea Party actually truly got started. So they felt like we had bailed out the banks. We had done these stimulus, um, but that was kind of all um, to help American business. So he felt like the mortgage assistance uh, would help Joe Average person um, if they were too far underwater, you know, with their mortgages, they can get assistance to uh, help pay it or to uh, renegotiate the interest rates so they can. possibly stay in their homes and this got into a fierce fight about do you want to pay your neighbor's mortgage you know because because he made some bad decisions and that was kind of how it was framed and left and there was um, a guy on daytime tv in chicago at the time who was on the floor of the chicago stock exchange 
um, saying, you know, I'm organizing uh, the Chicago Tea Party. Come down if you're, you know, if you're, uh, if you're a capitalist and you don't want to pay for your neighbor's mortgage, show up, blah, 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 blah. Well, what happened was that story got picked up nationally and people started actually organizing these Tea Party groups in their cities. And, of course, the Tea Party groups in, in their cities were becoming further and further away from what it was originally supposed to be about. And before you realize it, um, you have a, 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 a basket of deplorables all running for office all at once. <laughs> and and uh, in 2010, 12, and 14, uh, we lost, being the, the Democratic side, lost seats in the House and Senate every time. Um, and they were all picked up, almost all picked up, by Tea Party. So now, um, the Tea Party in, in 10 and 12 thought, well, we, we're going to come in and we're going to change Washington. And so that was 10. 12, they're like, okay, this moves really slow. We didn't realize <laughs> that, that Washington moved this slow. Uh, in 14, it was a full hijacking of the party. <laughs> and uh, uh, Boehner uh, actually said at one point he realized that you know, um, a leader with no followers is just taking a walk. A man taking a walk. Yeah, so he decided he would get out front and try to lead this thing. Yeah. And that led to uh, the 16-day government shutdown, <laughs> which eventually lost him uh, his speakership and seat in Congress altogether, along with Eric Cantor. Uh, so I still like to have a drink with Boehner. Yeah, you know, the I like to have a, like to have a drink with Boehner and Biden together. <clears throat> yeah, you know, the funny thing is, I think that'd be, be amazing. So, the funny that thing is, Diamond Joe. Yeah, the funny thing is, when you see him in it, when you see him in the interview, um, and he's not. You know, trying to be a politician at this point, and you just you you see why he was likable and could work uh, across the aisle when when that was still a thing in, in America. Uh, but uh, but apparently, as Lang was saying earlier, you know, because of all of these pain points kind of building up on each other, we got to a point where politically there was no way to get anybody to say yes to anything. Because if you seem too cooperative to the other side, you know, as, as it became a, 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 a verb, you can get primaried. And, and you can get thrown out of office your damn self. This happened on the Democratic side. Too. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. It's, there, it's, it, was it's, both, it was both it is, parties it is that, happening on that both had sides. this extreme split. It is happening. But I will say this. Hey, what's going on, podcasters? Let's acknowledge the good friends of the Law Party Podcast. The Majestic Restaurant and Pendergast Club, carrying on Kansas City's tradition of great food and great jazz, 931 Broadway in Kansas City, Missouri. 
the J. Rieger Kansas City Distillery. Whiskey, gin, vodka. That is oh so good. And friend of the podcast and panelist, Lane Bolin, managing to keep the podcast going. Apparently, wealthy or not. Now onto our regularly scheduled program. One of the quotes that I thought was interesting from the uh, from from the Tea Party was that when when they got in there and they realized, okay, um, this moves too slow. You know, it's like we're going to take over. You know, we're going to make it work. Wow, this moves slow. Then they realized, wait a minute, actually, the people that aren't working with us are our own people. The Republican, the establishment Republicans were the ones that really didn't want to work with them. And, uh, and truly, that's when uh, the party got... That's com- when we com- got yeah, Ted. Yeah, we got, the, we got the Ted Cruz. Exactly. We got the Greenheads and Ham. I'll agree with you up to a point, but I think, I think the larger the issues that you try to push, the more you make people draw a line in the sand. Well, yeah, and... and, when, and when you start pushing nationalized health care yeah. and Obamacare, that, I think, exploded everything. It did. Uh, I and, think that was the, the was final a, straw. And also, it was a horrendous move on Obama's part. Uh, and I'm not even anti the law. What I am anti against is he had a chance to make it a, uh, a very nice bill had he agreed to tort reform, but one of the best Democratic lobbies is uh, the lawyers, mm-hmm. you know, so they give a fuck ton of money to the Democratic Party. So he wasn't about to put tort reform in there. For whatever reason, they decided against being able to sell uh, interstate, which makes no sense, and actually puts these companies in a horrible... I've never quite understood I, that. I will never defend insurance companies. I think they're all pretty much wrong. Mm-hmm. You know, and they do everything they can to jack you over. But if you could mitigate your risk by selling interstate, that would make an enormous difference. If you're a Blue Cross of Blue Shield of Detroit and all of a sudden Salt Lake City is a market you can go into, congratulations. You know, <laughs> I mean, that absolutely mitigates your risk. Yeah. You know, that would have been enormous. But he, he refused to compromise on anything, too. This isn't just Republicans saying, I'm not going to compromise. This is Democrats paying back their biggest donors as well. Oh, and absolutely. And, and I do think. That's why that loss sucks so bad. Yeah, I, I do This think. is why we have Trump. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> which, which, of course, is where this is all going. <laughs> so we've got... Uh, we've got... Uh, uh, Ted Cruz and the Green Eggs and Ham filibuster. Mm-hmm. Um... Uh, because, uh, as Republican uh, Tea Partiers said, the one thing that they realized that they they actually had legally, constitutionally, was the power of the purse. And sure. if they had to shut down the whole goddamn government in order to get you to see that that's where their power lied, they were more than willing to shut down the whole goddamn government. <laughs> and uh, and and of course and of course did and. That of course led to uh, S and P downgrading uh, the American uh, credit for the first time. Um, Johnson Johnson has better credit than the United States government. <laughs> so just just floating that out there. <laughs> so by the time because they're profitable. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> 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 
I'll drink to that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So by the time we get toward uh, the last year or two of of President Obama's uh, terms, now we're dealing with something uh, different that is political but not political. And that is actually what we had our podcast on um, uh, a couple weeks ago, Misinformation Nation. Um, you started getting um, wild fragmentation in, uh, in in our news, um, you know, and, and, and people just wildly making up stuff. Yeah, you know, it was the so, false news story. Yeah, so yeah, yeah the you, big deal. Right yeah, now. yeah. I mean, but it's but it is true though. I mean, in but they did it. I mean, they were doing it during. Obama's and I won't even say that that's brand new. I think the problem is, mm-hmm. yeah, that's say I, I don't think it's brand new. I think that none of the social media platforms did uh, anything to help police the fact that there was that much false news going on. Well, anybody who's kind of social media for news is an idiot to begin with. But it's not <laughs> just social media. I mean, they were doing it on regular news stations. I'll give you a classic example. Hmm. And this is, this is one that will always go down in history. So who did the No Child Left Behind app? Uh, that wasn't that, Bush. wasn't that, uh, Bush, no, right? I was yeah. gonna say, was that, was actually, that Bush? It wasn't. No, what, the president wasn't that, did not uh, actually write a law. So it was actually Ted Kennedy who wrote the bill mm-hmm. in conjunction with the White House that happened to be under George W. Bush. Yeah, Bush and they did time. it together and put it through. And Kennedy, one of the biggest liberals of all time, was responsible for the No Child Left Behind Act, which everybody pins on George W. Bush and says, what a massive failure, and we hate this, and blah, blah, blah. Yeah. Well, then, fucking call the Kennedys. <laughs> and I mean, like, that misinformation has been around forever. Yeah, you're absolutely right. Misinformation has always been around. I think George Bush has the luck of a Kennedy. <laughs> I think you might be right. <laughs> yeah, so, in... In the fact that, um, and, and not only is it just just misinformation, but uh, the fact that there's at this point a thousand ways to disseminate misinformation um, during our uh, most recent presidential election, um, you know, we find that uh, you know that was uh, kind of running rampant. Which, you know, I don't know, to tell you the truth, if that was going to do anything to change the outcome of the election or not. But I, but I do think that, uh, you know, the fact that it's happening uh, at a greater and greater rate, you know, because, like you say, I think there has always been uh, false news and yeah, misinformation. Yeah, I think it's at a greater percentage. Yeah. I think it's just there's more outlets. There's more outlets. Percentage-wise. But don't you think... One of the false news things that really fired up a lot of people in different ways was the uh, Ferguson event, where the kid that was with him said he had his hands up and he had his back to him and he got shot and it come to find out it was not the case. The truth came out. But, but overall, it never went away. It exposed the problems with police and the community, but... The real truth of times, the hands up, don't shoot, is it didn't happen that way. And that, well, I think the hands that up, did, don't that shoot. Did bother, was, that what? did bother a lot of folks. Yeah, yeah, yeah. This really upset them, and then they rioted it and burned and everything else. And now you now you got a whole bunch of folks on that on the opposite side of the picture that doesn't live in the city, mm-hmm. doesn't understand what the city is. 
And I'm back going, whoa, wait a minute here, wait a minute, wait a minute, what the hell just happened? This is bullshit. I'm trying to remember, I and, know. And it really created, that created a very strong, even some of my, my liberal friends. I think that's a My most liberal for friends. After a while, backed off and said, this was a bad deal. This was a bad deal. Things, this, this didn't shake out the way it was supposed to shake out. And it's turned into this movement. They didn't like it. They were my liberal friends, though, and they're very liberal. <laughs> it, it was a bad example of a real problem. I mean, I think you would have a better argument if, if you were using the incident in Cleveland where they just flat-ass shot a kid with a fake gun. We, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, like a kid did. Yeah, that, that, that was real. <laughs> I mean, there were real situations out there that, going on. That, that's what I mean. I think it was, a, it, was a, it was a moment in time where they picked a horrific... Uh, example again, like it, it's it's not that different to me than like a Rodney King. It's a real problem. You just picked the wrong guy, the wrong horse to back because it turned right. out he wasn't a good dude, you know. But right, it didn't right, mean right. that the problem wasn't real. Wasn't real. That, and that's what I'm trying to say. You stated yeah. it better than I did. But but it turned around. It created a huge polarization. Sure, yeah. You can nobody can ever deny that. It created a Black Lives Matter on one side. And I will say it kicked off some of the white nationalist stuff on the other side where they went. Absolutely. Enough. Enough. You know, we're, we're being buffaloed here. You know, this is bullshit. And I'm just speaking what their point of view is. I feel like if you buffalo people for long enough, you got it coming back your way. I'm not super upset about that. <laughs> like, at some point. Well, they were looking, you, you gotta they were looking for the right thing. I'm not going <laughs> to say right, that. Yeah, but but, but it, 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 gave them, it gave them fuel. Yeah. And, and it gave the Black Lives Matter fuel. Well, and I guess that's kind of the point is, is that over the past, you know, 12, 14 years, we've had so many incidents, whether political or social, that, uh, to tell you the truth, going on, like I said, going back to uh, Rodney King and OJ and all that, so really 20 some odd years. We've had all these incidents that were political or social, and they really forced people on one side of the the fence or the other. And we've gotten to a place where there's very few forums that you can have a discussion with disagreements and don't leave the table disagreeably. And, uh, and, you know, our country has become this one big table, you know, and I think that there was, I think there was a large uh, part of the population that, you know, maybe kept quiet for a lot of, a lot of, like, the frustration was building up and they were only kind of having these conversations around their coffee table, uh, until, um, they got the opportunity to go and vote their conscience. And one, I think, uh, and I know at least one or two people at this uh, table will disagree with me, but it, uh, I think polling is, uh, uh, the way it's done currently is, uh, is antiquated. Um, uh, you're calling people's landlines. Um, nobody under the age of 45 has a landline. Period. <laughs> they just don't. Um, so everybody that's answering the phone 
Uh, and uh, is is going to be a lot older. And, uh, and I'm a lot older than 45, and I ain't going to answer that damn thing either. You know, <laughs> I, I guess what I'm saying is you have uh, the polling structure is antiquated. The, uh, the, you know, we are the last uh, uh, democracy of our type that uh, uses anything like an electoral college where there's a lot of systems and structures that I'm not 100% sure if they need to go away but they definitely need to be revisited because um, it's it's gotten to a point where we're able to and a lot of people are very comfortable just going to their tribe and sitting over there with their tribe and not mixing <clears throat> with anybody from the other side of, of uh, and and that's Dangerous because um, this is America, and you know, at this at you know at, at this table right now, we've got uh, different. Uh, you got different age ranges. You know, we've we've got you know black and white. We've got female. Uh, we we got one eighth brother over there somewhere. Uh, <laughs> uh, uh, either way it goes. Um, we're too connected to be this disconnected, and uh, and it and it worries me. Uh, not for us. What 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 it, what worries me is I'm not a hundred percent sure if this election will do what it should do for our, our younger people, and that is. Uh, Get involved. Like you, 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 you can't go and protest for a month. It's the biggest fallacy of all time. Young people never get involved. Well, and, but every candidate who relies on the young vote loses. You always lose. Period. Because they don't vote. Most of them don't even know how to register to vote. They're just too goddamn stupid. Yeah, yeah, I think I think what end. bothers me is you yeah, go it's, out. It's, it's embarrassing. Well, well, yeah, on one end you've got stupidity, and on the other end you've got complete political apathy. Mm-hmm. That I mean, I lost all faith in in the ability of this government to solve its own goddamn problems when the government shutdown happened. When I, as a soldier, was looking at the possibility of actually not getting paid. This and, is the first time I ever. Yeah, my son was in the Marines at the time, so yep. And and yeah, what what? And you're, I think you're right. I think apathy is a good word. Yeah, I, I, I mean, how do I word this? Um, the uh, amount of people that uh, voted for, for Bernie Sanders and when he lost the primary to Hillary Clinton that just decided to not even get involved in voting past that point was, you know, enormous. I mean, I, I this election was the two most unpopular candidates of all time running against each other. And that's complete it's, product of the polarity that we're talking about. The divisiveness exactly. between the, you know, the, the, the Republican Party and the Democratic Party that's been going on for the past eight years. We've been looking at people that are on the fringe of, of, each, uh, of each side of the spectrum, not willing to compromise. Why the hell would I want to vote for either side? Of, of the debate because they're not even willing to fucking work with each other. I don't think you got the most polarized French. person in Trump. I thought you got a dude who everybody knows is probably 
more democratic than any Republican president has ever been. Uh, don't tell me that dude hasn't had his own string of abortions and other shit. Like everybody, I mean, and, and, and he's not taking those back. He's and and was a Democrat for quite some stuff. time, and has voted Democratic yeah. for for quite a while. So I don't feel like he's necessarily representative of the Republican Party at its most extreme. <clears throat> I think a Ted Cruz or something like that could have been infinitely more polarizing than a Trump. But nobody knows who the hell they are. We so I got so I got so I got a question which uh, which I was gonna uh, which I was gonna bring up, but I think it's a good time. Did America just elect its first independent president? Yeah, really good question. Uh, I, I think that's. Probably I true. mean, yes, he ran under the Republican ticket, but he's. He's not Republican. I would say Theodore Roosevelt was the first. Certainly not established yeah. Republican it, by any stretch of imagination. Theodore Roosevelt was maybe one of the first uh, presidents to go against his own party on any number of things, and I think he set the tone for the modern presidency. And I think Trump is a kind of an offshoot of that. But you've been seeing a lot more of that going on anyway. I mean, Theodore Roosevelt was the first person to ever, ever have a black person in the White House. Uh, he was. It cost the Republicans. Yeah, uh, the South for many years. This is why one reason it turned Democratic was they were pissed. Yeah, you know he was a massive progressive. He was a trust buster, which is very anti-Republican. Yeah, if you look at his policy, he was hyper progressive. He was all in favor of national health care, all these social acts. No, I would say Theodore Roosevelt was the first one, and I think he set the tone for the 20th century, and you're seeing uh, an evolution of that going through. If you look at FDR's policies, a lot besides the ones he stole from Hoover, a lot of those <laughs> came from Theodore Roosevelt and yeah. his bold news party platform. Case in point, what you're talking about with with packing the Supreme Court with with uh, judges that are Absolutely. along the same party lines as himself, the whole bu- bully pulpit yep. uh, uh, strategy. It's yeah. when people yeah. want to get rid of institutions very quickly because you have a lot of people right now going, "Oh, let's just ditch electoral college." No one's there for a reason. It actually makes every state important. Otherwise, you'll just have people going to New York, Los Angeles, Chicago, and campaigning there and saying, fuck the rest of the states because I don't need you. And that's not the way that actually works now. You can build a strategy on smaller states, and each state is important right now. Yeah. You know, with the Electoral College, and I kind of like that. Which I think is essentially what happened in this election, because if you look at the states that actually turn out to be important... Um, Wisconsin. Wisconsin. <laughs> Wisconsin, which yeah. hasn't gone Republican in how long? Since Ohio Reagan. as well. Reagan. Right? Yeah. No. I think I, Reagan. Reagan won 49 out of 56. And Trump actually okay. gained 130 votes on the Wisconsin recount. Yeah. So, um, so Wisconsin, Michigan, Pennsylvania, <laughs> and Ohio. Yeah. Right? How's a flip flop? I know. I went for Bush. Yeah, and obviously, and obviously, Florida. But um, but still, four of those states usually go blue. Yeah, and uh, but there's been uh, they did not a lot of job loss due to mechanization and automation Mm -hmm. um, that aren't coming back that were promised to be brought back. And uh, and I've said and I've said before, I think out of everything that. Uh, that kind of hurts my heart for you know the the Trump voter in those states. Yeah, how disappointed they're going to be. Yeah, because I because I just happens. don't we think don't, we don't know what's going to happen. Yeah, I, I but I don't think hurt for Hillary because Bill Clinton insisted he's like you. This is the wrong fucking message. Don't run on this. Run on the Rust Belt. <laughs> run on. Talk to these people. 
Yeah, no, yeah. he did. Her campaign ignored them the entire and she, time. And she went to every big and city. That's and she, exactly yeah. why she You're lost. absolutely right. Yeah. Yeah. Which kind of gets back to He was right. I would never look at Bill Clinton and ignore his political advice. He is, I believe, in No, he's a political beast. Yeah, like, he, yeah, but, she definitely should have listened. But to get back to electoral college is that we have an interesting history here. Whereas in 19, and of course, like college, Electoral College came up early 1800s. No, it's always been right. Yeah, so it's always, it's it was one of the early founding fathers. But yeah. there, there was a reason. The, the reason they did it is not necessarily why it ended up being so, because we were a much more rural com- community in the 50s and 60s. And then we had the migration to the cities. Mm-hmm. So the cities now can, can, you know, you look at Illinois. Yeah. Who controls Illinois? Oh, yeah, the mayor of Chicago who <laughs> controls Cook Illinois. County. <laughs> yeah, Cook County. Cook County can outvote everything in Illinois. All right? day. About anything. Yeah. They can, they can bury that jam, because yeah. the population is so low in <laughs> yeah. the rest of the state they can literally control. Yeah. Therefore, the Electoral College is a viable thing. Yeah, and, no, and, and believe I me, Hillary it. was all about it when she thought she was going to win. It's <laughs> not, this, this, this not get away from that viable fact. Yeah, no, I don't think e- I don't think either party. But you know, there's a reason it's in place and it does function. Yeah, no, I just I think that there's a lot of I think there's a lot of people who it's didn't vote for Trump that don't really understand the 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 need for the electoral college um, at this day and time. But I I do agree that. The reason for the Electoral College is that it makes every state important. Because you're right. It's more important now than it it ever has been Because every large city would just eclipse the voting block and and whatever. And and most most large cities are blue. This is what I love when people talk about founding father kind of stuff. Actually, the initial reason for the Electoral College was if the vast majority of stupid Americans made a mistake they could be overruled. Exactly. <laughs> Which wow. is the kind of place in the first place. They wanted landowners and people with a stake in, in <laughs> to be able to overrule them. But it has since evolved into something that is very important, yes. which is no state can be ignored at this point. Yes. So, Absolutely. And that is a good thing. Alright, so um, I'm going to read you this one quote uh, and then we'll take any last comments before we, before we wrap this up. Uh, so uh, Frank Luntz, he was the uh, the GOP pollster that I was talking about earlier. Uh, he ends the uh, his part of the interview, and I just thought it was uh, hilarious. But uh, he says, "In the end, we fucked it up." Said <laughs> 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 so we killed the goose that laid the golden eggs. He says, and I, I will be alive, although I kind of wish that I wasn't. Who said this? When, uh, uh, Frank Luntz. He okay. was the uh, yeah, yeah, Republican yeah, yeah. pollster. I know yeah. who Frank is. Yeah. He, says, uh, see, he says, I will be alive, although sometimes I wish I wasn't, when all this shit comes tumbling down. <laughs> and uh, and uh, I just thought that was hilarious because at the end of the day, there was a point in time, um, not that long ago, when uh, American politics was a, was to some degree and to some great degree about uh, finding a compromise, and uh, and now, uh, as Frank Luntz says, we have fucked it up. <laughs> well, I, I go back to Tip O'Neill, Tip O'Neill, and Bob. I go back to them a hundred times. Well, them boys knew the art of the deal. It goes back to what what we were not arguing, but 
making a deal over. You can't make a deal over principles. It's right. just not possible. There's no, no. compromise. There is no compromise there. The problem is, again, I, I said this in a couple podcasts ago earlier, originally our political discourse was over one thing, money. You can make a deal over money, right? Absolutely. You cannot make a deal over a binary discussion on social issues. Period. End of story. Yeah. So the faster we get back to talking about money... It, the faster we stop talking about abortion and gays and all transgender that and all the bullshit, justice. Yeah, let's just talk about money. We can make deals over money. We can divide and compromise money. We okay. can't divide and compromise principles. Keep your principles to yourself. <laughs> anyway, I, mean, I, 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 agree, I agree with Wayne on this. The economy, the economy fixes a lot of things when everybody prospers. Capitalism has a way of separating who's smart and who's poor. It's just... <laughs> wow. Well, that's true. And the asshole award goes to my friend. I'll tell you this. I don't disagree. I'm on the plane on that. I would totally agree when you're outside of an election cycle. When right. In an election cycle, that is what a lot of people vote on. Sure. And the most modern example of that was... Uh, Bush, both in 2000 and 2004, and actually this is, uh, what's his face, uh, the asshole who ran his campaign, getting gay marriage on the ballot no, no, in a lot of swing states. Chris, I'm yeah. with you. And I'm so that's you. how we won the but election. But there was this tacit but agreement. that's not what you govern. Right, but there's this, t- exactly, there was this tacit agreement between Republicans and Democrats that during the election season, I'm going to talk about how much I hate homosexuals, and you're going to talk about how much you're going to legalize everything and then once we get to congress all we're going to talk about is money agree <laughs> right <laughs> and now that's not what the discussion is about no. and uh and thus our breakdown and our house divider yeah. and with that we're going to end this yeah. in the way that i end all these podcasts and that is with the quote that started it all for me and that is the good times we're good people all right hey that's it